so did Aaron Huntley reach out to you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I talk to him regularly. Oh, do you really? So then you know what I'm calling you about. I do, yeah. Yeah, and I actually listened to your first few episodes there. How'd you hear about it? From Aaron Huntley. What are your thoughts about working with me and, and having a conversation about the case on record? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not so interested in being on a podcast. If I, if I can give you anything that'll help, I will, but I, you know, I, I haven't been a big part of things, so. I mean, you moved away right after Nancy had disappeared, right? Yeah, totally, yeah. I moved to the Czech Republic for about seven years. So, I mean, if you would be willing to, I would love to have the opportunity where we can maybe schedule something out later on this week, having a chance to, to have a conversation on record, if you're willing. Yeah, but I mean, what I'm saying is I'd really rather not be on a podcast. You know, just because of, of the relationship between you and Aaron Huntley and that how that's being, you know, how that's connected to Nancy. But I would love to set, set something up where we can have a conversation about that and what you remember and kind of give me your perspective of the relationship between Nancy and Aaron Huntley and then yourself and Nancy. And I know that there were some emails that were that had gone back and forth between possibly you and Nancy. And well, yeah, can we is there a way we can we can set some time aside where we can spend some time talking about that later on this weekend or, or tomorrow or, the, or next week? Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. I mean, uh, yeah, sure. She's a Roman, like a pagan, with certain places that I would never go. Destroy walls, within his Ain't no rock to stop me from getting through If you waited near the autumn watches Saying I'd whisper to you If your feet can't stand the earth below Hey guys, before I share my conversation with Aaron Johns, I wanted to update you all on a few things I promised to keep you posted about. If you remember from a couple episodes ago, I shared that I had spoken with one of Jim's sons and discovered that he was neither aware of Nancy's case or that his dad was viewed as a strong suspect. Well, after that conversation, I was able to get in touch with Jim Roth's ex-wife Jean. When I spoke with Jean, she declined my interview. Let me share with you how the conversation went. I started off by introducing myself and explaining the purpose of my call. When I explained how I'm investigating the disappearance of Nancy Moyer, Jing's response was, Um, I don't know who you're talking about. I had to explain who Nancy was and how she had been in contact with Detective Elkins before about this case. That's when she said, Oh yeah, now I remember. I don't know anything about that case. And you know... Jim passed away, right? I told her I was aware, but I had some questions about Jim I really needed some answers on. She continued on saying, Yeah, well there are lots of people at Jim's funeral who said lots of good things about him. You should try to contact them about Jim. I don't want to get involved. 
It might bring up some old wounds. I told Jing I wasn't trying to bring up old wounds or rehash old stories about Jim that can cause her pain, but that Jim was a strong person of interest in Nancy's case and wanted to ask her some questions about Jim. Jing replied, I don't know anything about that case and want to decline your interview. So I said, Jing, I really need to talk to you about this case. You may or may not realize, but Jim is a key suspect and his alibi is based on your two boys saying they were with him. And then his testimony changed a few years after Nancy disappeared. Can you please reconsider? Yeah, I don't want to interview. So I asked her, is this because of the wounds that you mentioned earlier? Jing finished our conversation by saying, I don't want to interview and that's all I need to tell you, okay? Click. It's difficult knowing that Jing could potentially hold some of the answers to the truth about what happened to Nancy, but is refusing to talk. I didn't get the opportunity to share this with Jing since she abruptly ended the conversation, but if she was trying to protect her boys from finding out about Jim's involvement with Nancy, I had already informed her oldest of the case and how his dad was a possible suspect. Now, I imagine some of you may feel like that's a line I shouldn't have crossed, sharing the information with their son. Well, let me put it to you this way. If you went missing, wouldn't you want someone willing to cross those lines? I feel it's worth it for Sam, Mandy, Nancy's parents, Sharon, Bill, and the family. However, I've been able to speak with people outside Jim's family that knew him personally. Between the neighbors and fellow colleagues, I can say that Jim did have a drinking problem. I also heard testimonies of how the exchanges for the kids between him and Jing were at times extreme. Here are just a couple of things that stood out to me. One situation that a neighbor shared with me was when Jing came by to pick up the boys from their dad's house. She remembers watching Jim leaning into Jing's driver's side window and how their conversation escalated to the point of yelling and shouting. That's when Jing reversed out of the driveway and Jim raised his hand making it look like he was holding a gun pointed at Jing and acted like he was shooting her. The neighbor who saw this encounter said this was all done in front of their kids who were sitting in the back of Jing's car. This woman I spoke with also shared with me that she remembers Jim often making inappropriate comments towards her. She said he made her feel uncomfortable and didn't like speaking with him. There was one incident in particular when Jim asked this woman to assist him fixing the thermostat in his house. He claimed it wasn't working and needed her help. She said her husband was the one who handled those things in her own home and offered his help. But Jim continued to pressure her and she said he was very persistent that she be the one to help. He said they probably had the same thermostat and suggested she could read the manual to him while he worked on it. She declined again, ending the conversation by saying that her husband would help him if he still needed it when he got home later. So something that I've learned about Jing is that she didn't trust Jim having the kids overnight since he would drink to the point of passing out. For example, the night Jim claims to have had sexual relations with Nancy, February 21st, 2009, two weeks before she disappeared, he had his son earlier that day, but Jing demanded he bring the child home since she didn't trust him. This is the night Jim decided to Google Nancy's address and quote, pop in. How is it that only two weeks later, Jing allows Jim to keep both kids to stay overnight? Now, I'm not saying it couldn't have happened, but things like this and the gesture of pointing a gun at her that I really want to discuss with Jing. I really do hope that one day Jing will be willing to speak about this. But at this point, there's nothing more that I can do other than trying to speak with their sons. I also wanted to share with you guys that I made some requests to Thurston County and Tonino Police Department. I spoke with Chief Simper from Thurston County, and since I'm not able to see the evidence, 
I asked him if there was a log documenting all evidence bagged and collected from Nancy's house. Something else I've researched is that at crime scenes, law enforcement will block off the area to keep people from contaminating anything. Law enforcement officers and detectives are trained to create a log showing all individuals that enter the crime scene, including time in and time out. And if you've watched How to Make a Murderer, you're probably familiar with what I'm saying. I haven't received a call back from Simper yet, but I'll keep you guys posted. Now, let's dive into my conversation with Aaron Johns. As you remember, Aaron Huntley and Aaron Johns were the two men Nancy claimed to have had a threesome with. And Johns left the country shortly after Nancy had disappeared. I was told by Detective Elkins and Private Investigator Fred Dowdy that they never had the chance to speak with Johns, to question him about the claims Nancy had made or ask why he left the country. Through my thorough research, I was able to track Aaron Johns down. And, to my surprise, he was actually expecting my phone call. Hello? Hey, Aaron. Hello? Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you doing, man? It's not too bad. Yeah. This was the second time Aaron Johns and I had spoke. And as you heard in the first interview I had with him, he originally did not want to be on the podcast. Through long conversations and some convincing on my part, Aaron eventually allowed me to play the recording for you guys. Yeah, so how's how's it been since working from the DOE? Looks like you kind of went overseas and did some, looks like you were in charge of some sort of beer company or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I actually started that company, um, Beer Tourism, yeah. taking people around to microbreweries and craft beer pubs and stuff. Yeah. Kind of talking history of beer and uh, check brewing process and stuff like that. Very cool, man. Well, like I said, appreciate you taking the time to call. I'll try not to make it too long. I uh, cool. stuck out to me. I got straight to the point with Aaron Johns. I wanted to know about him leaving the country and how he was not questioned by Detective Elkins or Private Investigator Fred Dowdy and hear what he had to say about it. So my first question for him was, was this something that was planned prior to Nancy disappearing? Or was this something that he felt like doing after Nancy disappeared? I guess you can kind of see where I'm going with it. that was already planned prior to Nancy's disappearance? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, I traveled back and forth to Czech Republic um, quite a bit. Met a girl in 2007, um, kind of did the long distance thing back and forth. Um, you know, about two th- about a year into our relationship, so 2008, I decided to move over there and was working towards that you know, for a good year. Okay. Just kind of buttoning things up, saving money, that kind of thing. So in 2008, you were already planning on making this trip? Absolutely. Okay. And when Nancy disappeared, it, does, it sounds like you were possibly talked to by the first detective, Haller. Is that correct? I think so. You know, I, I'm not 100% sure of his name, but that sounds right. Okay. And then did you do any kind of polygraph or anything like that? I did. You did? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when they polygraphed you, was that... Because I know they didn't polygraph Aaron Huntley, even though they requested, they then said no you don't need to so he chose not to um right yeah yeah and i i don't i don't know why that is i mean they, they definitely asked me some questions about aaron during the polygraph and that that could have been why they decided not to with him okay what do you do you remember recall I'm speculating what kind of, there. do you remember recall what questions those were about aaron huntley um gosh well i there were some rumors spread about Aaron and I together, 
you know, yeah. doing sexual things with Nancy. And they were asking about that stuff, and you know, I don't, I don't know the extent of Aaron's relationship with her, but I know I didn't have one in any way. Um, so I, you know, I just answered those kind of questions. Yeah. So let, let's talk about that. Those rumors that were going around. Um, so it sounds like Aaron and Huntley and Nancy did have like a sexual relationship between the two of them. Now, Aaron has said, you know, we were never dating though. It was just something that we did and, you know, we're having fun with and, and then something came out that Nancy started saying that she had this threesome between the three of you guys. And it was a tattoo that she got to, symbolically represent what had happened in some sort of way so it was the double mint juicy fruit tattoo i'm pretty sure you're familiar with it i i i, I don't recall that but oh really I, I believe it yeah so the when you say you don't recall that are you talking specifically the tattoo yeah yeah okay so the detectives never brought that up to you i i don't know man it was 10 years ago um Made it vaguely familiar, but I, yeah, I wasn't really aware that there were tattoos that signify it to like remember something that never happened. I don't. Know. Yeah, there was a tattoo that she had got, and it was a double mint juicy fruit. Uh, were was the double mint was on top, and then juicy fruit I think was on the bottom, and then there was these three different flowers I think, and so the two of the same flowers were the double mint, and then the one flower that was signified you know, that resembled juicy fruit was in the middle. So the two flowers that were the same were you and the other Aaron, and she was the juicy fruit in the middle. Okay. Is that new to you? Yeah, that's new to me. When did, when did you actually, if, if to the, the, your best recollection in your memory, I know it was 10 years ago, but do you remember when you actually, what year you had met Nancy? I don't know. I mean, I, I worked at ecology for you know, six years or something. Um, so certainly I could have done work in what in the area she was in, but I mean, I never, I, I never really knew her, you know, that's why I was, so she started sending me some emails, which the detectives got everything. And, you know, they started out really harmless, just have a good weekend kind of thing. Um, and then they got a little bit uncomfortable. So I mailed, emailed back like, Hey, can you just stop emailing me? You know, um, initially you said it was, harmless emails back and forth between the two of you? Yeah, she would just say, have a good weekend, whatever, you know, stuff like that. And then did her emails start to become more aggressive, I guess? Is, is, is that what you mean by that with her? I don't know, aggressive, just uncomfortable, you know. Can you share a little bit about what you mean by that? Um, I mean, I, I don't really remember exactly word for word, but yeah. it, it felt, I don't want to say aggressive, but yeah, sexually aggressive i guess or you know not not like explicit but her intentions were pretty clear that she wanted to go there with you yeah and aaron huntley never brought that up to you privately that like she was interested in you uh i'm not not that i am aware of not that i recall because aaron as, as as i've mentioned before aaron wasn't like this is a serious relationship between Nancy and I. This was something that was kind of like this fling that we were having fun. Yeah, and we for had sure. sex on a couple yeah. of different occasions. So it wasn't like this was his girlfriend right. in your perspective? No, no. So no. when she started sending those emails to you, did you feel like, hey, Aaron, just want to let you know? Or did you share with him at all? Like, Yeah, he knew. we shared a cubicle space. So, I mean, and we've been friends for 
22, 23 years, you know? So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm certain that I told him or showed him or whatever. Didn't show any signs of frustration? No, absolutely not. No. It's been kind of made clear to me by Aaron that there was some sort of like no desire to have a relationship with Nancy on your part. Can you fill me in on that from your from your perspective yourself on 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 what you why you didn't want to have a relationship if that's the truth or if that's the case? Uh, I, I, I mean, I was I, don't know. I, I was in a relationship, you know, with with the woman who's now my wife, you know. Um, I I don't know. I just she made me uncomfortable. I, I was it was a it was a work, you know, someone in the building colleague if you will um and i just i didn't cr- i don't cross those borders very often you know where i'm like i bring in work friendships or acquaintances to my personal friendship circle so it was, it's more of a personal you know decision on that you made about not wanting to get close with nancy yeah and that girl that you were dating at that time, in 2007, you started dating her, you said, and when Nancy was emailing you, you're now you're married to that same girl? Yeah. Did you have any, I mean, I know, I know it could be even repetitive in, in the way that I'm asking these questions, but, you know, I'm just trying to make sure I have a very clear understanding. Yeah, yeah. It, did, you, thing. did you have any animosity towards Nancy? Not at all. I mean, I didn't know her. And you guys never hung out, like, on a weekend with Aaron? Never, no. I, I I never saw her outside of the ecology building in my life. There's this trip that supposedly this is where the threesome happened, but apparently there was a trip down to Portland for some wakeboard event that Aaron told me that he went down with Nancy on. You were not a part of that trip? No, not that I recall. Outside of the DOE, then you would definitely remember a trip down in Portland. If you, oh, yeah, for sure. I would, I, yeah, I would remember. I would remember being there. Absolutely. Do you remember what what time? Because Nancy disappeared in March. Do you know how s- shortly afterwards that you that you had moved out of the country? I moved on was it May tenth, I think, two thousand nine. From mid May two thousand nine, it was the when I flew over. Again, that was all pre scheduled. All. all in the works before you guys had left yeah yeah prior to nancy's disappearance but then i remember aaron said that word had gotten back to you that you there was this threesome nancy was talking about and you know that was before she had disappeared i asked aaron hey did you ever confront her on this you know if, if this didn't happen why would you know was there any like hey nancy why are you saying this it, yeah right, right. encounter between aaron huntley and nancy and he said no he didn't confront her? I, I don't know if he did or not. Yeah, no, he said he didn't. And yes. in your position, in your situation, I mean, not only are you not having any kind of intimate sexual relationship with her, but you don't even hang out with her. So when you heard right. that she was saying these things about this threesome, did you ever confront her on it? I didn't, no. You know, if, if I had heard that and someone was saying that about me, and especially if I had a girlfriend, is there any reason to why you chose not to? Uh, I mean, I, not, not really, not that I can express other than like, you know, the not to get involved in a rumor mill and, you know, just like let, let it go. And, you know, the, the truth always kind of comes out, you know, so, um, 
you know, I felt like maybe confronting her would like involve me more or, you know, kind of create this drama that's really not there. Did it upset you at all? Well, I'm not. Uh, who likes rumors about them, you know? But I'm, I'm pretty confident in who I am. My, you know, my girlfriend at the time, wife now, trusts me and, you know, we have a good relationship. So yeah. I, it, there, there just wasn't a lot of reason to dive into that drama. Then there was the other rumor, which I'm not sure if you've heard or not, but that you and Aaron had a relationship between the two of you. And I'm not, did you hear that? Uh, yeah, that's familiar. And the way that, that I've understood it and read it is kind of when Aaron walked away from that relationship, kind of out of animosity or anger or retaliation and whatever, however someone wants to word it, it was she started saying that you guys had this homosexual relationship between the two of you. Right. Had you had heard that during that time as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, that, I believe that was one of the... Um, so, like, with the polygraph test, they, like, had a list. Because it's all yes or no questions, or, you know. Um, so they had, like, a list of questions that they had for me. And then they asked if there was a question that I wanted to add to that list. And the, one, the question I added was, were me and Aaron in a homosexual relationship? And my answer was no. And we never did. I mean, we've been close. Like, he's, he's a good friend of mine for years and years. Um, you know, half of my life, I've, I've known the guy and, you know, care about him, but, but we've never, we've never had that kind of relationship. When you heard that, you probably heard that before Nancy went missing, correct? Yeah. Did so. you also, was that something else that you felt like just not wanting to insert yourself in? Or did you ever address her on that as well? No, I, I didn't address her. I mean, that, that one it kind of doesn't bother me. I mean... Aaron and I laughed about it. It was like, whatever. You know, we were close. We were close friends then. And, you know, the people in the building knew we were close. So, like, you know, pe people can think what they want. It didn't, didn't necessarily hurt my feelings, you know. Do you even remember when they asked you during the polygraph test, you know, where you were at on March 6th or 7th? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was a good friend of mine was playing drums in a jazz concert that I was at with a, another group of friends watching. Mm -hmm. um, and the detectives reached out to all of my alibis or whatever, and, you know, everything checks out. Did you, because here's another thing that, you know, and I guess I'm trying to get my hands on those emails, because specifically I heard from Nancy's daughter that when Aaron Huntley was the only guy that Nancy ever brought up to her girls, that she never mentioned any other guy that she was seeing or dating mm -hmm. or being physically intimate with. And she said that the only thing that she ever mentioned about another male was that she remembers when Nancy was talking to her daughters about Aaron Huntley, Nancy said something to, along the lines of, you know, yeah, Aaron and I, you know, we're not, we're not working out, but I'm interested in a different Aaron. And apparently this different Aaron, I have to just assume unless there was another Aaron that Nancy was hanging out with, which is very well possible, but would be you. And yeah, I mean, that's a fair assumption, I suppose. And Sharon said to me, Sharon is Nancy's sister. Sharon had said to me that she was even considering on looking at getting an apartment with you and Aaron. And Nancy, or I'm sorry, Sharon's response to Nancy was, I don't know if that's a great idea. You, know, you got two daughters. You know, I don't know if this is the best decision to have two other guys around them. So I know, I, I, I'm going to guess I already know what your answer is, but having 
any kind of let's move in together together conversation between you and Aaron was never even discussed or brought up? No, absolutely not. Um, I was actually living with my, my parents at the time because I'd given up my apartment. I'd sold my car. You know, I was preparing to, to totally change, you know, my life. Um, so I wouldn't have, <laughs> I, you know, I wouldn't have signed a lease if I was leaving, you know. Yeah. I was already shacking up with my parents. You know? And the detectives came and talked to my parents and where I was staying at the time. And, you know, they wanted to check out my car. I, I, I sold my car, you know, six weeks ago or whatever. So they wanted, yeah. they wanted to look at your car that you had just sold because it was kind of yeah. long, close to the time that Nancy disappeared? Right, right. They wanted to look at my car, but I had sold it, you know, two months ago and was just, I, I was riding the bus for a little while to work and then I bought a little moped that I was cruising around on that I left with, you know, in town for when I came home to visit. Did, did you ever, did you provide information on who that individual was that you sold the vehicle to? No, they never asked. It was, it was long before anything happened. Wish I had more information for you. You know, I'd, I'd love it if she was found, you know, I'm, my heart breaks for her kids, you know, whether, you know, anything, you know, any new information would be great. Did your now wife, did she ever ask you questions like, Hey, is, what's this about? I mean, did she, did it ever get back to her? I talked to her about it for sure. When you talked about it with her, you, when you said I talked about it with her, was that during that time it was all, everything was going down? Yeah. Yeah. I would, I mean, I would imagine talk to her about it. We hadn't talked about it for years and years until, until you called. But yeah, okay. I mean, I don't, I don't hold things back from my wife. From sitting on your side of the table and then versus me sitting on my side of the table. I'm concerned about how I'm portrayed because I know that leaving the country, you know, looks weird, but you know, like from your perspective, because the, this case is kind of your world right now, it, it looks like I left during the time of the case, but from my perspective, like this, this lady that where I worked in the same building at disappeared at the same time I'm trying to move, you know, like what the hell's going on? Well, really bad timing if you, coming from my perspective, you know, and it's not like I was hiding, you know, I, was, I did everything legally and I had all my documents to live there and I started a company and I came home to visit, you know, I, it's not like I was trying to get away from anything. Just I was just chasing a girl, man. I'm trying to figure all this out between the threesome happened, didn't happen, you know, this trip down to Portland or Nancy saying she's going to move in with the two of you guys. You know, I, I can't control what Nancy says, but here's what one of my thoughts were is, well, I could see why Aaron Johns would deny it is if he's in a relationship with a girl and doesn't want it to get back that he had stepped out on her with Nancy Moyer. Well, I wonder if he's with if if he was dating a girl. I wonder if he's with that girl to this day, which she's yep, now your sure. wife. Yeah, and, yep. and we have a two-year-old. Yeah, I mean, I guess you've already said it, but that's not the case at all either. Uh, that I was denying it to not get back to my yeah. wife. Yeah. No, I'm denying it because it's the truth. You know, I, I, it's it's all hogwash, if you will. Like, no, no relationship, no, no sex, no. Nothing, you know, there never was. Uh, no, no sexual relationship with Aaron Huntley. There never was. Tattoo thing is just crazy to me. 
And again, if you feel like I'm, I'm stepping too far, I'd be like, hey, dude, I don't want to go. I don't want to talk about that. But that your wife ever said to you, like, hey, is this true? Um, well, she didn't have to. You know, I, I told her it's not. And, yeah. You know, we're, we're pretty open and honest with each other. Yeah. And I'm not, um, not, not so much today because, I mean, you guys are married. You have a kid together. You guys have a family. I'm more thinking about when this all kind of came about. Then, yeah, for sure. I mean, I told her that, you know, there's crap going on and it's ridiculous and I'm talking to investor investigators and then I did the polygraph test and like, all right, thank you for coming in. You know, we're, we're going to leave you alone now. Like, great. And get on with my life. The polygraph test was the last, my last part in it. And then they kind of just said, all right, man, you're, you're, you're free and clear. Go, go live your life. We're not going to hound you anymore. And that was that. So I took them at their word and yeah. kind of went about my business. Did you, did you let them know that you're moving out of the country? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that wow. was never a, it was never a secret. You know, yeah. I mean, I was living at my mom and dad's house, you know, 30 year old man at his mom and dad's house. They came and talked to my parents, you know, they, my parents, you know, let them know that I'd planned plans to leave and, you know, all the pieces were there. Like I had my ticket, I, you know, I had sold my car two months in advance, I'd given up my apartment, just like all the, you know, the little things that you would think of if you're leaving the country, you know, you pre-planned. Yeah. So, so that, I mean, that, that's, um, that's, that's a, that's huge. You know, that's something I didn't know is that you had notified the detectives like, Hey, I'm, I'm planning on moving out and leaving and they, yeah. You know, they did the poly, they went over everything, then they gave you the green light. Okay, you're you're good to go, man. Do what you got to do or whatever you want to do. Yeah, for sure. Right. After my conversation with Aaron, I had to sit back and digest what I had just heard. Some key things that stuck out to me about our conversation was that Aaron Johns already had plans to leave the country prior to Nancy's disappearance. I mean, that's big and something that I didn't know about prior to our conversation. We did find out that he was dating a woman in 2007 who lived in the Czech Republic. And that's something that's kind of always been in the back of my mind. So I did challenge him on why I thought he would deny the relationship between him and Nancy. But Aaron was firm about it never happening. Aaron had already sold his vehicle to leave, moved into his parents' house, and even notified Thurston County that he was leaving the country, knowing that if he didn't, it would warrant more suspicion by him leaving without notifying them. It's a smart move on his part, in my opinion, especially if he had nothing to do with Nancy's disappearance. He passed the polygraph test and was even given the thumbs up to leave. I mean, I really don't know what else he could have done to clear his name. I probably would have done the exact same things. Aaron goes as far as saying to me, I've never saw her outside the ecology building in my life. That's a strong statement for Aaron to make and it only takes one person to say, no, I saw him with Nancy on this date or at this event outside the DOE. Now, as far as March 6th goes, he had multiple alibis. And it's not like he's still living in the Czech. I mean, he came back to the United States to visit his family during his time of living there. So at the end of all of this, I feel like it's fair to say that I don't think Aaron Johns had anything to do with Nancy's disappearance. I want to share with you about a recent trip I took to Zanino. My intentions for why I wanted to go there was to see everything in person for myself. 
I wanted to meet her family and co-workers, see her house, and walk some of the trails the search parties took. I also wanted to speak with the locals to get a feel on what the community thought had happened to Nancy. In the back of my mind, I also thought there could be some possible leads that can come from this. The thing about small towns and crimes such as Nancy's is that sometimes people in the town hear rumors or something said and don't feel comfortable contacting authorities, usually because they feel it won't lead to anything so they don't do anything about it. I had hoped that this scenario was true for this small town and that during my visit, locals would meet up with me and my team when we arrived. I spoke with a guy at the Chronicle newspaper when this all started. His name's Cody. Cody wanted to share what I was doing with Nancy's case and help get the word out to the public especially with how this is happening around the 10-year anniversary of Nancy's disappearance. He shared my information on his article letting locals know I was coming up mid-March. That's when I started getting a ton of tips and leads. I'd say most were about individuals I was already aware of, but there was a tip I received that had me perplexed. The tip was about a possible location that a body could be at. The person told me where they heard this information from and knew the exact location where to look. This person does not want to be mentioned in the podcast, and since they're not considered a suspect, I have no reason to put their name out there. So I'll sum up our conversation for you. For the sake of the conversation, I'll refer to this individual as Leah. Leah told me she knew a man who would frequently visit a local bar and share how he had come across human bones in a specific area, and that authorities needed to go check it out. This area is off Maytown Road Southwest. This area is full of lumber trees and brush. The man talking about the bones said that he saw the bones for himself and how authorities needed to go out there and look. And something odd about this area is that Leah also shared with me that along Maytown Road, there was a specific location that every year during Christmas, whether it was a bush or wrapped some lights around a tree trunk. Leah said that this started in 2009 and stopped in 2017. Well, the thing that rang a bell for me was, that's a timeline of Nancy's disappearance in 2009 and Jim passing away in 2017. Is it an odd coincidence? Maybe? I don't know. But definitely something that I needed to go see for myself. Here's how my trip went. I started my search in the area Leah shared with me. I want to explain something I learned when searching for a body, is that Maurice Godwin from episode 3 said, when someone is burying a body or trying to get rid of a body, They don't typically physically carry the body a long distance. It's usually 20 to 30 yards, so I canvassed the area. All I can say is that if you wanted to get rid of a body, you could easily do that in Tenaino. And when I say that, that has nothing to do with the people that live there. It has everything to do with that there are large areas of trees and brush that surround the city. I constantly came across dry sticks that grabbed my attention. They could easily resemble at first glance what a bone looks like, the way that they become dry. You can do it as long as you don't. I prefer you don't use my name. Of course, yeah. That's Leah. She's the one that called me about the tip and where this body could possibly be based upon what the gentleman was saying at the bar. I mean, if you were going to hide a body, this would be where you would do it. I mean, there's so much bushes and brush trees. It's just, even if you knew the body was like here, you would, you could easily miss it. See what I'm saying? Did you see that? Yeah. My heart's... Stop beating for a second. I was coming towards the end of my search and was working my way back. That's when I came across. Found a bone. Found a bone. Oh. Hey, Tara. Found a bone. Stop it. Yeah, you up, Maurice. I bagged the bone and brought it back to Maurice. It's pretty thin. 
Stay, stay in this location for a second. Keep looking. I know it could possibly be a deer, but it kind of looks like a deer's leg. Yeah, it's a deer. Shit. Deer joint leg, yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a deer. Deer leg. Yep. I was so discouraged that Maurice thought it was a deer bone. Regardless, I bagged the bone and brought it with me to send it off to an anthropologist. I also got another tip from a local, Mayor Wayne Fournier. He sent me a text message indicating that he'd heard some hunters came across a body on the outskirts of Tenaino. He shared as much information that he could about what he knew. So I set the destination in my maps. During the search, Bev Poston from episode 1 and Kim Collins, who assisted Bev on search parties when Nancy went missing, both joined me. I'm not hearing what's going on. Something about this is driveway or... But that's cool. We wanted to talk to one of the locals here, so it's all good. We put it out there. We needed to talk to them, and they came. The power of the thought. <laughs> that's Kim, and she became very knowledgeable about what to look for when searching for Nancy. See, we would look for things like this. This is what something I just noticed. This is an actual pathway right here. See, little steps. And that's the type of stuff we would be looking for. Isn't this fun? <laughs> that's Bev. And I can understand why Nancy would look to her as somewhat of like a mother figure. She's someone you don't want to mess with. And now she's retired from the DOE where Kim now has taken her position. She could have done a career's worth of time searching for Nancy over the 10 years that she's been missing. And to this day, just like now, if there's an opportunity to go search for Nancy, she will. This is half your life, right? It's been a, it was a long time. Try trekking through it in like April and May when everything is growing up. Right. And it's, yeah, it made for some really interesting times. Yeah, when you turned on this road, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe you're turning on this road. I don't like this road. It would yeah. make better, it always made better sense to me that you would roll someone downhill. If you look right here, uh -huh. this is, I think, the main area. So technically, we could go behind that. When Bev started researching how to look for a body when Nancy went missing, she shared how someone who's trying to get rid of a body will usually carry it down into a ditch, bank, or hillside versus carrying it up a hill, simply because Dead weight is awkwardly heavy. I began my second search. I was running into the same issue as before in my first search, seeing dry sticks appearing at first to be bones and it really hit me. This could easily be why she's missing. Until you get out there for yourself, you really have no idea how difficult it is to locate someone in a forest-like area. Even if you knew 100% that a body was out there, you would spend several days trying to find them. As I continued to canvas the area, my team and I started to hear multiple gunshots go off. From the sound of it, I believe they were within 150 yards. I'm not sure why, but the gunshots continued to go off for some time. I continued my search and just like the last one, I was coming to the end and started to make my way back up the hill. That's when Kim directed me over to an area that was full of garbage bags. Well, there's a little path down here and at the end of the path you get down to the beach, it's just a bunch of black bags with leaves and stuff covered. Did you already go down look there? Well, yeah, oh, you didn't look at it? I didn't. There were easily 15 plastic bags all piled up full of garbage. I opened each bag and started shifting the contents around. Nothing. On my way back up the hill, out of the corner of my eye, I caught a corner edge of a garbage bag that was poking out of the ground. It was barely noticeable, almost like it was a small piece that was ripped off and lying on the ground. I decided to go back and check it just to make sure it was nothing. I tried to pick up the small piece that was exposed and quickly realized this is a bag that has been buried. I immediately started digging. 
I noticed this bag wasn't like the other ones I had just found. You can tell this bag had aged and was exposed to elements longer than the other garbage bags, and this bag had some puncture marks on it. That's when I came across something I'll never forget for the rest of my life. Hey guys. What the heck? Oh gosh. Hey, I need you guys. I need Maurice over here. I have a... Uh, I got a bag of bones. They're buried. I can't even explain what that moment was like for me. When I initially pulled the bag out of the ground, there was another bag inside of it. I started to pull the bones out one by one. Maurice wasn't able to confirm whether or not they were animal bones, but definitely couldn't confirm that they were human remains. I bagged everything up, and I'm also sending this off to an anthropologist. I'll keep you guys posted on what I hear. I reached out to a close friend of mine to see if I can get his opinion on what I had found. When I talked to the guy, I said, why would it be in a black bag, though? Because poachers would naturally just get rid of it, but in the black bag, I don't understand. Well, it's not... I mean, take, for instance, if, like, you or Kurt and I, we, we shot a deer and we lived in that area. Well, you just probably you know, may or you may not you know, want that carcass. So what you'll do, it depends on what type of animal it is. I don't know, I can't say for sure that's a deer or whatever. I mean, it could be a, a raccoon for all I know. But you know, it's not uncommon for people, especially um, people that don't want that stuff laying around to put it in garbage bags and they'll just go throw it away. Um, and if they don't want to go to the dump, if they don't want to fill their garbage can, you know, like, uh, let's say, you know, whoever, they're like, oh, okay, well, we don't get garbage collection for, you know, a week. You know, we just killed this animal. I don't want it stinking up my garbage. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it in a garbage bag, and then I'm just going to throw it out the window. Okay. What, what do you say? It was like five, six feet off the road, maybe? Oh, this was probably 15, 20 yards off the road. Down the slope? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, so, you could have chucked it, and it could have gained more, I mean, yeah. down the slope, and so that's go further. Not, you know, that's... Likely course of it. Yes. So, yeah. so yeah. Go ahead and if you want to grab the bottom of it there and then pull. Did you guys GPS mark? Mm-hmm. Where? Yeah, exactly where we were at. Did anybody else handle these with without gloves or? No. This is Trey. Trey is a game warden and has an extensive background when dealing with poachers. Yeah. When I lived in Virginia, I would clean them at my house and then I would put them in garbage bags. Okay. Um, and if, like you said, trash came not until another week later. You didn't want it in your trash. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would, I'm not like saying that's what I did, but right. I'm saying I put them in black garbage bags because um, I didn't, you know, some people's wives or husbands or boyfriends or whatever don't like opening the garbage can and there's, you know, um, a dead animal in there right. just getting all over the garbage can. Right. I, I can say though that it's consistent with your, your bagging. Yeah. That there was, you know, whatever they put in there, you know, another animal definitely got on okay. I'm not a hunter and I don't understand how these things work so I'll keep you guys up to date on what I find out so now we're going to dive into our next suspect I want to share with you guys that in Nancy's case the officers of Tenano PD were also considered potential suspects and looked into because of the way and fashion Nancy disappeared specifically because of the way the house was left and everything Nancy left behind Tenano police officers were asked for alibis and proof of their whereabouts on March 6, 2009. I've spoken with former Tenano officer Adam Haggerty, who was with Tenano PD at the time of Nancy's disappearance. 
He stated not only was an alibi requested or good enough, they also requested receipts to match his testimony. Unfortunately, two officers did not have alibis or proof of their whereabouts they could provide to Detective Haller. So Detective Haller requested both officers to take polygraphs. One officer that I don't know the name of said, absolutely, and passed the poly. The other officer declined to take the polygraph altogether. Introducing Ron Evans. I've had some strong suspicions about this officer, and the locals or people who are aware of Nancy's case are also suspicious. I've received this question multiple times from listeners or people who live in Tenino. Wasn't it Officer Evans who was running radar that saw Nancy the night she went missing? No. It was Officer Hagman who saw Nancy unloading groceries into her house. Now, before we dive into Evans and his role in all of this, I need you to understand the working relationship between Tenino PD and Thurston County Sheriff's Department and how they collaborate when major crimes take place in Tenino. Tenino PD will request Thurston County to step in and take over major crimes since they have more sources and manpower to handle such cases. So when Bill filed the missing person report Monday morning at 9 a.m. with Tenino PD, they told him he needed to wait 48 hours. Apparently, that's protocol. On March 11th at 9 a.m., Tenino PD was contacted by Bill again, and that's when the missing person report is officially filed. Shortly after the report is filed, Detective Haller is requested by Tenino PD later that day to take over the case. So technically, Tenino PD had been aware of Nancy missing for two days prior to when Thurston County was made aware of Nancy missing. So here's what I know about Ron Evans, and there's a lot here to go over, so get ready. Once Nancy's story started to become known around the area, Detective Haller was contacted by another detective who felt the need to share inside information about Ron Evans. This is an excerpt of Nancy's case file from Detective Haller. Ron Evans was a deputy for Grays Harbor County Sheriff's Department. Detective Haller was contacted by a detective from Grays Harbor and explained how Evans was a former deputy for their department and his agency, but was removed prior to completing his probationary requirements due to an on-duty sexual misconduct complaint. He stated Evans refused to take a polygraph and obtained the services of an attorney when confronted with the allegation. Detective Haller investigated further into this allegation and reviewed confidential law enforcement files regarding Evans. Detective Haller found a series of allegations both sustained and non-sustained, showing the possibility of Evans leaning towards sexual misconduct while on duty. Evans was fired in 2003 from Grays Harbor Sheriff's Department because of these allegations of sexual misconduct. So, how did Evans get hired by Tenino PD given the sexual misconduct allegations in 2003? Evans was hired by former Tenino Police Chief Lee White. White resigned as chief in 2007 because of public records revealed that White faced allegations that he had made sexually inappropriate comments to other officers. Here's a quote by former Tenino Police Chief Sean Gallagher when asked the same question about Evans and him being hired by Tenino PD. All the information about Evans might not have been known by anybody but Lee White. After Nancy disappeared and Evans declining the polygraph, some more suspicious behavior came up about Evans a year later. On May 3, 2010, 14 months after Nancy disappeared, Detective Haller was advised how Officer Evans' vehicle was switched out a couple days after Nancy disappeared. Detective Haller contacted the newly appointed Tenino Police Chief Sean Gallagher, and arrangements were made to take the patrol car used by Evans into evidence. Detective Haller impounded the police car on this date. It was a 2005 Chevy Impala. 
Nothing of evidentiary value was found in the Tenino Police Patrol vehicle. Detective Haller was unable to find or show any evidence to conclusively tie him to Nancy's disappearance. I feel that if Evans did have anything to do with Nancy's disappearance, him swapping out his vehicle shortly after Nancy disappeared would be a reason for it. I'm not sure if it was his request to swap out his vehicle, but that doesn't look good in my opinion. Detective Haller checked the patrol vehicle for blood and hair, but nothing came from it. But the thing is, this didn't happen until over a year later, after Nancy disappeared. Now, to be fair to Detective Haller, he wasn't aware of this vehicle swap when it happened. When he found out March 3rd, a year later, he acted right away. In my last episode, Discrepancies, I hit heavily on the cell phone issue. I was contacted by Nancy's sister-in-law, Jacqueline, and her husband, Brian, Bill's brother. They said they had information to share. This really piqued my interest because they declined my interview before. Now, before I play our conversation, I want to give you guys a heads up. Jackie and Brian sometimes refer to Bill as well. In regards to the last email that you had sent me about uh, after listening to, I think it was discrepancies. Yes. So let's start there. And and I know that you had said that is Brian, right? Yes. Okay. You guys wanted to kind of talk about that and share a little bit about what had happened during the time of Nancy's disappearance when this all came about? Yes, and we, uh, you know, opened a discussion about the cell phone, which we, until we read or listened to the episode, we didn't realize it was such, you know, a a big deal. And, you know, we, you know, have information to remember Nancy having a cell phone. Um, I'm sorry, did you say that you did or you didn't? We did. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so, you know, we just wanted to kind of, you know, back Will up on that, that he's right. I mean, she absolutely had a cell phone and recollection is um, the December, it was 2008. So they were separated. Brian's and and we call him Will. I'm sorry. I'm going to try to call him Bill. Yeah. <laughs> but it's Will. It's Will to me and it's weird to say Bill. <laughs> okay. So anyway, Bill and Brian's mom, who was, you know, beloved and the matriarch of our entire family, Um, was diagnosed with cancer and felt like that would be her last Christmas. So um, she wanted everyone that she loved around her for that Christmas. And so Nancy was invited. Brian and I recall that she had her cell phone there because it was like an appendage. Like she was really, really into it. (laughs) Like I I don't recall a time when I'd seen her so distracted by anything. I mean, it was the phone was like. And it was Christmas and it was kind of busy and you're with your family and nobody else was really having their phones out. And our kids were young and the house is small and lots of gifts and stuff going on. So we were all like, you know, we, we I mean, you recognize everybody was like, wow, she is really on that phone. <laughs> yeah. So very distracted. And you guys to the point where you guys were it was obvious and you could realize that she was spending a lot of time on this. Yeah. Yeah. To, I mean, and I recall it specifically because I remember how irritated Will was, or Bill, (laughs) sorry. Um, You know, and it was irritating just because, you know, we were all, like I said, the house is small. Christmas is crazy. There's a lot of grandkids. And um, so I do recall him taking her aside, kind of like, can you put it away for a while, you know? Oh, really? And enjoy the you know, the holiday. Do you know if uh, during that time of her being distracted, was she on the phone, like as in talking to people or was she texting or? Yeah, it was texting. Really? Yes. Yeah. 
a lot of texting and like facial expressions and laughing. I mean, she's really enjoying it, you know, whoever she was speaking with, which was nice. You know, I, I, I love Nancy and I love to see her happy. And I knew that they were going through a hard time. And I realized um, through your podcast that um, Detective Elkins was back to doing a different job. That's the first I had heard of that as well, which was frustrating as a family member to yeah. think that, you know, I, and then I thought, assumed, you know, there's a lot of assuming going on here with um, this case, what family members know and, and everything. And we hadn't spoken with Will in a while and we assumed, well, he probably knows who the new detective is and how that's going to go. But it sounds he like he didn't know either. No, he didn't. So, so the Christmas gathering you had mentioned earlier, that was December 2008, correct? I think we said eight, but it was actually seven because it was a, it was approximately fourteen months before you know she had gone missing. So that two thousand seven, that Christmas gathering, correct? Okay. The reason that I was really wanting to have my husband speak with you um, when she, you know, he he went to her house to drop the kids off, keep their schedule. She wasn't there. They waited around, whatever they did, and then they ended up. He brought the girls back to his house. Everyone went to bed, and then he took them to school the next morning and um, got, you know, together with his dad and discussed, you know, what what do we do? I mean, this, is, this isn't like her, you know. This has never happened before with her, and she's always very, very communicative, especially when it comes to the kids and the drop-offs and all that. And um, so I you know, was very concerned and had my husband come home early from work that day. And when Will picked the girls up from school, he brought them to my house with my two daughters. And then Brian and, and his brother, you know, we discussed what we should do. And I was like, Hey, go down there and start, you know, she's got neighbors. She's got to, we didn't, we'd never been to her house. Didn't know where she lived, but of course Will did. And so, Brian and his brother went down there and did exactly what I suggested. And Brian can tell you about that. I wasn't with them. Like I said, I stayed back with the kids. Yeah. So, uh, so we went down to her house and when we arrived there, we, we parked in front of her house and it was probably around five o'clock. I'm going to say, and we looked around the house was still locked up. She obviously hadn't been there. And, uh, we kind of looked around the yard and stuff for a minute or two, not very long. And we went to the neighbor's house that's directly south from hers. And we started talking to the neighbor there, see if they'd seen her that day or in the past three, four days or whatever. And they said, oddly enough, they hadn't. They said, normally we do see her, but uh, we haven't seen her in a few days. And they said, we did hear uh, a commotion one night, but they couldn't pinpoint which night it even was for sure. And about that time, the... Tonino Police Department pulled up and uh, the officer came to the door where we were talking to the, their neighbors and uh, he talked to us for a second and then said, I need you guys to go stand over there by your car, which was like a, you know, house away and on the street. So it was quite a ways away. And then he talked to them for a few minutes. Obviously, we have no idea what happened there. But uh, when he came back, um, you know, it was basically like we got the impression, you know, we don't want you guys poking around here. Just, you know, do your, you know, basically 
I can't remember their exact words. And maybe if you talk to Bill, he could he could tell you what they said exactly when uh, they came back. But one thing that really stuck in my mind was just before he left and we left, he said, you know, she's probably just on um, kind of a drug bender. And, you know, this kind of stuff happens all the time. And she'll be back in two to three days. You know, we thought, well, that's really odd. Didn't know her to do drugs or anything you know and then from that point basically we just left but it didn't seem like they didn't want us talking to the neighbors and you know they didn't want us around there and to come up with the uh the whole theory of you know this drug thing that we had no knowledge of her even being into any kind of drugs was just very strange who's do you remember the name of the of the officer you know, I, I don't. Would you recognize a picture? Uh, maybe, yeah. It's 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 strange to me that they knew that you were at someone's front door asking questions about her disappearance because Monday they called the missing person report, but it wasn't filed because it had to wait so many hours. From what I've under from what I've learned or from what, from what I've seen, is that do you, do you remember that the same way? Yeah, and um, you know, we also thought. Or at least I did. I'm not going to speak for my brother, but, um, you know, I thought it was odd that we'd literally been there four or five minutes and all of a sudden here they are showing up because we'd literally just gone over there to see if she'd come back or, you know, check with the neighbors and see if, what they knew. It was just very ironic that they would end up there. What I recall, James, is that when, because this is the part where I, for the first time, got really, my anxiety and everything got really revved up because I was shocked at the way the police had treated them when they're just concerned about a family member and this is just neighbors of hers. They weren't intruding on anybody and nobody, they want, everyone wanted to help when they went door to door is what Brian and, and Bill told me when they got back. And then the um, police officer just showed up and said, you can't be going door to door and talking to people, we'll, we'll take care of all of that. You need to, you know, leave these people alone. And I, that's when I was like, what? Then they need to do something because as of that point, we had made phone calls and stuff and nobody was doing anything. We get, she's an adult, but you know, she was a single woman at that point with two daughters and I wasn't having it. And that's when I called Cairo seven and King five and told her story of how she's a missing mother of two from Tonino. And I said, we need this to get on the news ASAP. I mean, 48 hours. I know that that is critical times. Right. And I said I was frustrated the police weren't doing anything. And that's when the whole media thing started. But at one point, somebody within our group, whether it be Bill, Brian, they, someone said that the police station, you can see her house from the police station. So, we have two key takeaways from my conversation with Brian and Jackie. The first takeaway is, they confirmed the cell phone theory. Now, I've reached out to a specialist by the name of Dr. Gavin Maines, who specializes with digital forensics. I've sent him all the information I have to help us find Nancy's cell phone number and cross-referencing other parties I believe to be involved. So, at this point, I just need to wait and see what he comes up with. My second takeaway, who was the officer that told Bill and Brian to leave? How did the officer know Brian and Bill were even at Nancy's? How did the officer know they were talking to the neighbors about Nancy or that Bill was Nancy's ex when he stopped them? Is it a crime to do what Bill and Brian were doing? Was it Officer Evans? 
Even if it wasn't Evans, why make them leave? Especially if Tanano PD isn't doing anything yet since protocol states Bill needed to wait 48 hours to file the missing person report. I'm sure Tanino PD had a justifiable reason for wanting Bill and Brian to leave, but it's definitely a reason I want to hear. My guess would be keeping the ex-husband, who are naturally strong suspects in these types of cases, out of the scene or tampering with what could be evidence. But why would you tell them not to talk to the neighbors? That one doesn't make sense to me. Bill and Brian are doing what I feel any normal family member of concern would do. I asked Brian if he would remember the face of the officer that told them to leave if I showed him a picture. And if it's Officer Evans, it just adds to the list of suspicious behavior. I've submitted a public records request of Tenino PD from 2007 through 2014. Unfortunately, they don't keep any images on file. Now, another red flag for Evans is how he left Tenino PD. Here's what happened. In early 2010, a young girl was allegedly victim of rape and child molestation and the case was pending. Evans was in charge of the investigation into the girl's alleged rape. He also was a resource officer at Rainier High School. On May 10th, 2010, a temporary protection order was issued that prohibited Evans from going within 1,000 feet of the 15-year-old girl's Rainier home. The petition for an anti-harassment order signed by the girls at the time Guardian accused Evans, quote, became very close to the girl while investigating the charges far beyond the investigating law enforcement officer versus victim boundaries. The petition describes various encounters between Evans and this girl. One event occurred April 10th, when Evans allegedly picked up the girl at 1.45 p.m., took her to a carnival in Lacey, Washington, and did not bring her home until 11.20 p.m. The Guardian wrote in her petition that during the April 10th encounter, Evans took this girl to his home so he could meet his fiancée and his stepson. Other events described in the petition included frequent phone calls to the girl by Evans, and an allegation that Evans took the girl to a counseling center after she had threatened suicide at school and then purchased her Easter gifts including a soccer ball, a basketball, and stuffed animal and chocolate. The Guardian stated that Chief Gallagher ordered Evans to cease contact with the girl and removed him from her case. The Guardian wrote that on April 16, 2010, quote, Evans called the girl to cancel a date, but this conversation lasted about an hour and only ended after I went into her room to see if she was still on the phone with him. The Guardian also alleged in the protection order that on April 28th, Sergeant Evans and the girl were in the law enforcement office at Rainier High School during lunchtime. There is no information that Sergeant Evans discouraged this meeting, and it only ended after he was called back to his office by his chief. The Guardian also wrote that, Sergeant Evans specifically told me and my husband that his intent was to adopt the girl, but we were not to tell anyone. He also suggested that Chief Gallagher and his wife become foster parents so the girl could live with them until he could adopt her. She also states that Evans was placed on administrative leave because of his continued contact with the girl. She wrote that Evans once expressed that he was emotionally invested in this girl. So how is this relevant to Nancy's case? One of my theories is that if Bill states a cell phone along with her purse and keys were at Nancy's house Sunday evening, March 8th, when he came by to drop off the girls, and when Thurston County went inside to collect evidence March 11th and the cell phone was gone, then someone could have went back inside Nancy's house sometime between March 9th and the 10th to grab the phone. The reason being would be because the cell phone could link them back to Nancy. And if someone saw an officer parked on 9th Street 
which is right next to Nancy's house during the 9th through the 10th, no one would put much thought or concern seeing them there since Tenino PD often ran radar next to her house, and still do till this day. Now, I was told by a former Tenino police officer by the name of Randall Reynolds that Evans taught him how to run radar there, right on 9th Street. Now, I know I'm just speculating here, but this could be why Thurston County and Detective Haller never bagged, let alone saw, Nancy's cell phone. Given Evans' background, his lack of self-control, and sexual allegations, there is a strong possibility Evans could have seen Nancy before and been interested in her. Bill Moyer shared with Detective Haller that the landlord had left a key to the residence under an article left on the front porch. So could Evans have witnessed the landlord placing the key there? If you're placing your tenant's spare key under an item to hide it, would you be that concerned if an officer was nearby or could possibly see you doing it? I personally wouldn't, but that's my opinion versus the next. The only information documented in the case file that states a Tenino police officer entered Nancy's home was Officer Samuelson. This happened during the initial investigation on March 11th, and Detective Haller was present for this along with Bill Moyer, who requested access back inside Nancy's house to retrieve the cats left inside. Detective Haller granted Bill access to the home. I've searched all over the United States for Evans. I've came across areas Evans could possibly be such as Seattle or Pullman, Washington, Phoenix, Arizona, and many other areas. I've even been told that he's on the streets somewhere as a drug addict. I've heard he's in prison in Oregon somewhere. I've called multiple correctional facilities and used multiple inmate search websites and I've found nothing. A lot of this could be hearsay. So here's where I need your help. If you have any images of Ron Evans, please share them with me. If you know his whereabouts, please contact me. I really need to speak with him, and I've exhausted almost all of my resources at this point. And I want to add, if you provide any information, it'll all be off the record. Next time on Hide and Seek. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with that. I was outside when they were doing a body search. They had cadaver dogs out running through people's yards and shit. I think I'm aware of who you're talking about. Nancy Moore? Uh, I'm not sure what her name is, no. And see if there's anything that you can add to the story that I've been researching. Well, you probably, you know, pretty much all I know from what I just told you there. And, uh, you know, now's not really a good time for something like that, but whether you can add to this or, or put more to it, but there's there was one specific encounter that, that kind of brought your name forward that I wanted to kind of really? run by you. And how, how did my name come up in all this? Hopefully it wasn't in a bad light. You know, Are you trying to say that I, I was a suspect or something? This is James. Hey, you just called me? Yeah, yeah. Dave, do you remember me? I'm James doing the podcast on Nancy Moyer's case. Yeah, I remember, yeah. Okay. Do you have time to chat? Um, no. Um, and, uh, unless you're going to tell me how my name got brought into this, I got nothing to say to you. Okay. Well, before I go into that, you know, with everything that I do, let's try them again. I'm sorry, the person you are trying to reach has a voicemail box that has not been set up yet. She's roaming like a pagan, searching places 
that I would never come Destroy walls With endless bones But ain't no rock can stop me from getting through Let 